I'm Spencer Levy, and this is The Weekly Take. And what a week it's been. Americans turned out in record numbers for a historic presidential election. And just days later, a Pfizer vaccine trial made headlines with highly positive results for a potential COVID-19 preventative. On this episode, hope and change. Hope for a vaccine, that is, and likely change at the top. And how it all factors into our economic outlook for the year to come. We've got divided politics. As the stock market is telling us right now, that's quite good for the business environment. That's CBRE's global chief economist, Richard Barkham, the lead author of a new report, CBRE's 2021 U.S. Outlook. Richard joins me to discuss the impact of Joe Biden's likely election as America's 46th president and divided government. We'll consider lingering uncertainties. And above all, with that promising news about a vaccine, we'll analyze what current events mean for the country, for the economy, and for the commercial real estate business in particular. That's right now on The Weekly Take. Welcome to The Weekly Take. I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Richard Barkham. Richard, welcome. Thank you, Spence. Absolute pleasure to be here. To put this conversation in context, we're speaking at the end of election week. Richard, here's an easy question to start. Tell us exactly what's going to happen and what does it mean for the economy? Exactly, Spence. To the day, to the minute. Uh, we're really good in CBRE research. I'm not 100% certain I can be that precise. But Biden has won the election uh, by a close margin, closer than many people thought. But he will not get the blue wave that, again, was uh, predicted by many people and indeed priced into the market. So we end up with uh, a divided politics, divided executive and legislature. Uh, so I think... Uh, as the stock market is showing us, actually, that's a political environment because there are no radical policy departures that business people quite like. It allows business to get on with the job. But let's now go to our commercial real estate forecast. Where are we right now, Richard? And where do you think we'll be in 2021 in the US and globally? We're still looking at a pretty negative 2020 with about minus 4% GDP growth. But I think we're looking at the reverse of that in 2021, somewhere between 4 and 5% GDP growth in the United States and much higher in the world more generally. And that comes on the back of our assumptions about an almost immediate deployment of a vaccine and continued economic stimulus, building on the consumer recovery that's already taken place, Spence. Well, let's talk about the vaccine. And I hesitate to talk about medical issues, but we have to because it's going to have an enormous impact on the economy. I did hear some good news from you, Richard, earlier today that the vaccine seems to be progressing faster than a lot of people thought. What's going on? What we're hearing, Spence, is that it's already being deployed in hospitals around the United States uh, in advance of it being licensed. And we think it will be licensed in December and deployed with care workers immediately in Q1 and the rolled out more broadly uh, in Q2. Um, if there's a little bit of a glitch in that, I think it's that the Europeans will be more cautious. It's unlikely to be deployed until Q2, so the rollout programme will take longer. And I think the European economies are going to take a, a bit more of a hit in Q4 of this year and Q1 of next year as the, the virus levels uh, soar in that region. But for the United States, it's a pretty encouraging story. Well, speaking of encouraging, let's talk about an area that has been discouraging for the last six months or longer 
which is simply travel, travel not just between cities, but between countries. Any outlook on when that might get back to not necessarily normal, but a lot higher levels next year? It has to be post-COVID vaccine, I think. It has been trending up a little bit, um, but we need to see that vaccine deployed. So that revival in travel, I think, is end of the year weighted, likely to come through in late Q2, Q3 and Q4. I think, generally speaking, though, it's going to take 24 months, at least from there, to catch up to anywhere it was prior to COVID-19. That puts a, a proper full recovery uh, all the way through into 2024. Well, I guess the good news in a global economy with a huge percentage of it being services, uh, a lot of global trade was still taking place, notwithstanding the travel restrictions. But I did notice, skipping ahead uh, very briefly to commercial real estate, we've even seen uh, quite a big uptick in foreign investment in the U.S., uh, even in the face of uh, being unable to travel here. Um, do you expect that to continue? And why do we see so much foreign money coming here? I think there are two things, Spence. I think people are getting over the idea that they need to visit a property in order to uh, to buy it. And we've seen that in London, uh, properties transaction. But I also think it's a good opportunity as well. Uh, up until the COVID-19 crisis, we had a relatively strong dollar and relatively high hedging costs. Um, now we've got a very advantageous currency situations. So we never know. Forecasting currencies and hedging is a mugs game, always has been. Um, but what we do know, therefore, is that the right thing to do is to act when you get a good currency opportunity. And I think that's what investors are doing right now. One of the things that has positively surprised us early on, really in September uh, and August, and now uh, following in October, is the strength of the consumer at or above record levels of spending. How's that possible? It's indescribably unusual, Spence, but I think you have to look at the, the, the government spending there. You've got government spending like it was wartime, and all of that money, it's not going into investment. It's going directly to supporting the incomes of consumers. So in Q2 and Q3, American consumer incomes actually rose. And I think that has supported the really strong revival in consumer spending. Retail sales are higher now than they were pre-COVID-19. And car sales are up too. I think it's all to do with government spending that's caused that spend. And I think with a further stimulus package... I can't see why that won't continue, even if the virus is trending up in the United States. Well, let's talk about the consumer and let's, again, jump ahead to real estate and retail. Uh, retail has obviously uh, been very challenged the last six to nine months and obviously had some structural issues before that uh, related to restaurants and experience more recently. But also there's been some high profile bankruptcies. Um, is that a green shoot for bricks and mortar retail that we're seeing so much consumer spending? I believe it is, Spence. It's an unusual situation. We've clearly still got the challenge to retail coming from internet penetration. But you've also seen this uptick, this really surge in, in retail sales. And you also have a situation, I think, if you look at history, where after you get over a crisis, there's a release of energy. People go out, they, they party, you know, they, they do things, they spend money in ways that they otherwise uh, wouldn't do. So, do you, I think that's going to be one of the um, surprises of, of 2021, um, a real positivity around bricks and mortar retail that we haven't seen for some years, frankly. So you would agree with the term that our friend and colleague Henry Chin coined, which is revenge retail, that people want to go out and spend and maybe on unusual luxury things? I would call it more relief retail. You know, once the pandemic is over, it's just a sense of relief. Um, and you can see it in history over many episodes 
the way in which the 1920s, for instance, you know, came out of the, the pandemic in the uh, 1918 and then the First World War. You saw it in other events as well, but I think it's something to watch out for. The other thing I'm watching out for is just good old-fashioned value. And what that means to me is that you price things low enough, people are going to do it. And that would include getting on cruise ships and other things that right now seem so foreign to us. How much is the consumer drivable by value? As an economist, you have to say price is the ultimate motivator. So, you know, I think uh, in the retail and leisure industry, you're going to see some great deals. We've seen it in Q3 even when we've had a lot of restrictions on. But I think a combination of that relief and the need for the hotel and lodging industry to get back on its feet is going to lead to uh, you know, a surge in... I, I wouldn't be surprised if cruises, uh, uh, which I note have just been allowed by the FTC to kick off again, um, uh, or, or set off anyway. That's another part of the consumer-led relief rally that I think is going to continue into 2021. So let's turn now back to the election and the stimulus in particular. I think it's fair to say that our forecast uh, was largely baked pre-election, but it does have some levers which could move it up or down depending upon, among other things, the amount of the stimulus. So what are we thinking for the amount of the stimulus and how might it impact our forecast for the U.S.? Okay, so we come to politics, we come to the US election. And I think, you know, our view is at the moment that that, that Biden is going to win the election. Uh, We could still be wrong, we don't fully know, uh, but that he's not going to have control of the Senate. So any idea that we've got a three trillion mega stimulus is is just off the table right now. Uh, So that places, I think, the stimulus somewhere between one trillion um, or two trillion depending on whether there are two stimulus packages, one that comes immediately after the election um, and then another one in the new year. Uh, And it also depends a little bit on Biden's uh, political skills in kind of working with Republicans in Congress to to get that through. And all, uh, you know, any prestige that he carries with him um, from winning the election. We do think that longer term, the fiscal hawks are, you know, back in play in, in Congress. If we see the, as we believe, the, the virus defeated in 2021, then I think we get one fiscal stimulus uh, in the next couple of quarters amounting to about $2 trillion. Uh, And that should be enough to see us through um, into the full recovery that materialises from Q2. Well, maybe now is not the time to worry about what I call the other I word. The, the I word that everybody talks about is interest rates, but the other I word is inflation. But uh, good, good God, we put, what is it, $7 trillion into the economy now, if you were to include the new $2 trillion package, when you combine fiscal plus monetary plus new fiscal, uh, have we just unleashed inflation on the US economy? I think we might actually see uh, one or two hints of that over the next six months, six to nine months, partly because of what I was talking about earlier, just the, the strength of demand feeding through into manufacturing. You just might see some good price inflation there. But we haven't unleashed a a general inflation in either 2020 or 2021 because, uh, you know, we've still got a lot of excess capacity in the global economy. And broadly speaking, um, supply side is ahead of demand side. You know, the central banks, including the Fed, have done more in three months to expand their balance sheets uh, than they did in five years of the great financial crisis. So 
Who knows where this takes us after two, three, four, five years? I mean, I think we've got a lot of liquidity sloshing around the system, uh, as well as some other structural factors. Uh, and it goes back to the, you know, the reshoring of uh, manufacturing activity. One of the reasons we exported manufacturing activity was to get cheap labor costs. If you reshore manufacturing activity, you're bringing it back to slightly higher cost locations. Um, so that's one factor that I think is, broadly speaking, pushing us towards inflation. The other one is China. Um, China won't be able to rely on its exports to grow anymore, so it's going to have to stoke up its uh, consumer economy. And that's adding a big chunk of demand to the global economy. So I think over three to five years, we might be looking at not rip-roaring inflation as we had in the 1970s and the 1980s, but more of a 2 to 4% inflation zone rather than the, the, the 1% to 2% inflation zone that we've had over the last uh, 10 years or so. Well, let's play a little parlor game here for a moment. I now want you to guess where the 10-year Treasury is going to be at the end of 2020, at the end of 2021, and why. So I would probably say that the 10-year Treasury will end the year, uh, you know, I think there's still... With the, the virus flare-up in Europe, we're heading into a, a more risky rather than less risky situation. So I think the, the 10-year Treasury, you know, probably uh, 70 bips at the end of the year. But I think as we come out of the crisis and the economy gains strength and governments around the, the world deploy stimulus, then I think we're probably looking at a 10-year Treasury in 2021 about uh, 1.1% percent, something like that. Maybe 40 bips on, on the 10-year Treasury. It's not, it's not rip-roaring away, but it is, you know, that rate will rise. Well, for the first time, Richard, I'm going to take the other position. Oh, um, and, and, the, and the reason is this, is I think that once we're past this next couple of weeks, people are going to see that the uh, economy is uh, increasingly in good shape, a lot of stimulus, and a relatively stable government, which leads me to believe that the 10-year will be at 1% by the end of this year and will be closer to 2% by the end of next year. So I'm in the very optimistic growth camp because of stimulus and stability. Uh, and I'm normally the guy who's pushing down interest rates. But at the same time, I'm also the guy who believes that cap rates are, are low and they're going to potentially get lower. What do you think, Richard? Well, on cap rates, uh, I, I tend to agree, Spence, dare I say it. Um, there's still a very attractive spread in real estate. I mean, one of the really surprising things about the current crisis is just how resilient, given we've had the biggest economic shock um, in 100 years, uh, and we've hardly had cap rates moving at all. So cap rates have been kind of super resilient. Um, so it's, you know, if they're super resilient in the point of a crisis, then they're only going to trend down, I think, when um, that crisis alleviates. Let's now, skip ahead to the major asset types in our actual forecast. So let's just take it from the top. Office, where is it going to be in 2021? I think we're going to see um, vacancy rates continuing to trend out uh, in 2021. Headline rents have been relatively stable so far. And, and what seems to be uh, increasing is the level of incentives uh, for tenants to occupy space. But I think uh, over the course of 20. 21, we're going to see headline rents easing down. From Q2 and Q3, I think we'll begin to see leasing pick up again. It could well pick up more strongly than we think because 
companies will reactivate plans that were deferred for the last 18 months. But I don't see that pick up in leasing activity in Q3 and Q4 really substantially impacting on headline rents until the end of 2022 or possibly into 2023. So we have a period of falling rents, rising incentives in the office sector. But curiously enough, uh, relatively stable cap rates. It, It might well be worth noting that the bounce back could be stronger than we think. So companies might be looking at the next six to nine months potentially as the sweet spot to really do very advantageous uh, deals on quality space in the primest locations in the world. So just just keep that in mind. Well, Richard, um, not to push you back too hard here, but I will say there were many things that we have forecast in the five major food groups that were too optimistic, and there were some things that were too pessimistic. And I think that in the office asset class, perhaps we were a little bit too optimistic about the speed of the comeback, because I don't think we were counting on it being dependent upon a vaccine. We thought there would be something more along the Asian model of testing, tracking, and technology, but we maybe were a little bit too optimistic there, uh, looking back to our original forecast in March. But that said, uh, if you're seeing the best office assets in the U.S. today, and when I say the best, I'm defining the best by great markets with long-term credit-tenant leases, For some of those assets, I am directly aware that we are getting values that are pre-COVID today, and many of those bidders are foreign. So isn't that a bet on the future value of office? Yeah, totally agree, Spence, and um, a well-placed bet, uh, in my opinion. As I say, I mean, we may well have been a little bit optimistic. Um, So I've pushed out in our forecast any form of uh, leasing revival for, for two quarters, Um, And that takes the leasing revival through to Q3 and Q4, um, probably, you know, substantially materializing in Q1 uh, 2022. Well, at the risk of dominating the rest of this episode with this one question, I do have to note that in your forecast, you have a area which is called the secular shift in demand for office use. And that relates to work from home. That relates to other factors that say people are going to be in the office less Are we any clearer today on what that secular shift is going to be than we were a few months ago? And what will give us that clarity? I think we are a little bit clearer. I think the the experience of the COVID-19 crisis has accelerated the the remote working technology uh, extremely quickly. So I think what we're going to see is companies deploying much more hybrid strategies with uh, people working out of many locations. We were probably at a figure prior to COVID where maybe 60% of people worked in the office five days a week, that could easily drop to only 30% of people working five days in the office. Does that actually translate in a reduction in demand for space? Well, not necessarily, because A, there'll be a certain amount of de-densification, I think, in the marketplace. The wellness concerns will persist after the crisis has uh, been eliminated. And even if we see COVID-19 being largely solved in 2020, it it won't be completely eliminated. There will be some sort of virus management. So I think we'll have some de-densification. And I think the new kind of working as well, it's it's not people sitting at desks, it's people working in teams, it's people working in event space, uh, it's people working in team space. And it's also uh, offices with a a much higher level of amenities. We might have people working more remotely and more flexibly. That doesn't necessarily translate into a lower level of overall demand. And one final thing, 
before you chip in. You've got to remember, people are seeing all this remote working and thinking decline in demand for office. But under any circumstance, the number of office-using jobs is going to be increasing quite sharply uh, in the next five years. So the secular drivers of demand are still in place. Let's skip now to another asset class where I'm not going to go so far as to say we were too optimistic, but I think we were too optimistic in a segment of it, which is multifamily. Now, multifamily, you should all be aware, was our number one asset class idea in the CBRE 2030 Age of Responsive Real Estate Report, which came out just prior to the crisis, now known as the way forward. And multifamily has performed well during the crisis in suburban areas, um, but it has performed very poorly in CBD areas, uh, particularly those dependent upon mass transit. So, Richard, were we too optimistic or too pessimistic? I don't think the issue is necessarily to do with mass transit in the big cities. I think it's, you know, big cities are very expensive places to live there. And people will do that when urban amenities, you know, when they've got the theatres open, when they've got lots of great restaurants to go to. And I think the fact that the COVID-19 closed up all of those urban amenities means that people don't want to pay a high central city rent um, when there are no urban amenities. I think when urban amenities come back, then I think you'll see those uh, multifamily markets picking up again quite quickly. I think, frankly, they did get a little bit expensive, uh, and it may be that they they don't bounce back to the pre-COVID rents. But I think once you see the the vast array of interesting things that you can do in the city um, coming back, then the future is reasonably bright for those big city multifamily apartments. I would worry a little bit as well, We've noticed that with multifamily rent collections, they've been way more stable than we ever thought possible. So I don't think we were over-optimistic there. In fact, I think we may have been too pessimistic on rent collections. If there happens to be no stimulus or we don't get that generous unemployment support going in in Q4 and Q1 next year to see people through this period of high unemployment, then I think that might filter through into weakening rent collections in some of the multifamily that caters for people on median incomes and more moderate incomes. So might be still a little bit of hiccup in some of the um, those types of multifamily assets. So let's skip ahead to the next asset class, hotels. What's going to take for the hotels to come back and when will they come back? What does our forecast say, Richard? This is the, the weakest area of real estate right now, hotels. Um, and You know, we have seen a little bit of revival of the hotel sector that caters for domestic leisure. The hotels that are are, are drivable to from American metros. But the big full service hotels that cater for the business clientele, particularly the traveling business clientele, have been absolutely whacked by the crisis. And I think their trajectory uh, for recovery is probably similar to the one I mentioned for the airlines, which is pretty slow, maybe starts the back end of 2021, uh, picks up in 2022, but isn't really getting back into its stride until 2023 and not fully recovered until 2024. So, and we are actually seeing, you know, certain hotels that they're actually closing for good. Um, It's a very hard hit sector. It's interesting to note that China, which has managed to suppress the virus very quickly and very effectively, Its economy is back up and running quite nicely. It's almost up to pre-COVID occupancy in hotels. So it may come back quicker than we expect. But at the moment, hotels not till fully recovered till 2024. Let's skip ahead now to the alternative sector, Richard. 
And the alternatives are things like life sciences, cold storage, data centers, medical office. They seem to be red hot. Why? Let's go to life sciences. and It is red hot. There's no getting around it. Life sciences is absolutely red hot. And I'm sitting here in Boston, you know, at the kind of epicenter of uh, life sciences. It's tempting to say that it's as a result of the COVID-19 crisis, all of this investment in health. But I don't think it's that. I think it really goes back to when um, people cracked the genome code and people started uh, mapping up genetic uh, characteristics uh, and, and exploring the gene. And that has just opened up so many opportunities for new therapies. I want to end this podcast on a positive, optimistic note. What makes you most optimistic, most positive about 2021, knowing we're going into a year where the pandemic still exists? It is the good news that we've been hearing on the vaccine. It's an extremely remarkable story. And I think it's testimony to the real vigor, inventiveness. Um, it's not just in the United States, but a lot of it is in the United States uh, around the medical and the pharmaceutical industry. But it, it's also, it's this kind of human spirit as well. It's just really incredible how optimistic and, and kind of raring to go uh, the American people have remained, even in the tooth of this kind of political turmoil. The can-do attitude of the Americans, uh, I think, is really remarkable. So on behalf of The Weekly Take, I want to thank my good friend and colleague, Richard Barkham, Global Chief Economist, America's Head of Research, and I may have missed the title there, but a tremendous friend, a tremendous mind in the business. Please take a look out for CBRE's 2021 Outlook for Commercial Real Estate in the United States, which is going to be published shortly. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Spence. For more on our show, check out CBRE.com slash The Weekly Take. You can also find the report that Richard and I just talked about, CBRE's complete 2021 U.S. Outlook forecasting the year ahead, and soon an in-depth analysis of the election's impact led by CBRE's America's Director of Research, Darren Malott. We'd also love your feedback. So if you found us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or another platform, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen. Once again, thanks for joining us. Until next time, I'm Spencer Levy. Be smart, be safe, be well.